Very dramatic, all right? Genesis chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. If you have your Bibles, join me in turning Genesis chapter 6. We're really just beginning our, our series on blockbusters, the greatest stories ever told. We started last week with the greatest story of all time, the real life accounting of Jesus Christ, God the Son, how He rose again from the grave, He conquered sin and death, and we're grateful for that. We're going to be continuing today in our study after weeks of preparation, our church had its opening service on July 26, 1998. And I remember as we worked leading our way to that opening Sunday, uh, we were kind of excited, kind of nervous. And there were times where I thought, what are we going to do with all the people when they show up? You know, so many are going to come. And then there were other times where I thought, I wonder if anyone will come at all. I remember I was investing time just going to homes in our community and inviting people. And I see Maria today. I remember going down her street, Sierra Marina, and knocking on her door and telling her we're starting a church. And, and that she came and others. I'm grateful. On our opening service that day, we had 38 people from the community come to Coastline Baptist Church. Now, we had 12 other friends we didn't know were coming who came from about 90 miles away. So sometimes I say we had 50, sometimes I say we had 38. We had 50 total people, but 38 local people. And we were grateful for that. And I remember as that day came and that all began to soak in, it, it dawned on me there's more to it than just having church that one time. I thought, i got to do something now. And it took me a minute to begin to figure that out. And so I discovered what, what I probably should do would be to thank those people that were our guests on our opening Sunday and maybe get by and get to know them a little bit if I can. And so I did my best. I tried to send a letter to say thanks a lot for coming. And, and uh, I remember one family, the first family I ever followed up on who visited our church, uh, they, they invited me over. Their names were Karen and Spencer Doyle. Now, I remember I got to their home. They're in an apartment near Carlsbad, uh, the beach there. And, and uh, when I got to their home, they were very kind. They said, come on in. And we began to talk. And they said that they enjoyed the service. Now, that was a shocking statement, all right? Our service in those early days consisted of me leading the singing, which is never a good thing. And uh, our instrumentalist for the day was a CD player, literally, it was a remote control CD player. I'd, you know, I'd say, turn to page 236, we're going to sing Victory in Jesus. And I'd turn around and that was like number 17 on the song thing, you know. It was horrible, it was terrible. We had no ministries, we had no programs, we had nothing. Pretty much it was just, folks came, I opened the Bible, started teaching the Word of God, and here's this couple, and they said... We really enjoyed the service, and I'm thinking, God must have been working in their hearts, okay? There wasn't a whole lot to enjoy, but they said it was good. And we talked and talked, and they were very kind and very cordial, and we had a great visit together. But before we left, I, I, I asked them, I said, hey, do you guys mind if I ask you something before I leave? And they said, sure, what do you got? And, and uh, I said, you know, Spencer and Karen, I, I just wanted to ask you, do you guys know for sure if you were to die today that you'd spend eternity in heaven? And as I said that, Karen, she teared up. And I thought, oh, man, what did I do? What did I, you know, am I in trouble? And I later found out that Karen came to know Christ at a very early age growing up. She lived in the uh, Atlanta area. She accepted Jesus Christ and kind of got away from the Lord a little bit. Mary Spencer was not a believer, and, and um, she'd been praying that he'd come to know the Lord, but she wasn't quite sure how to go about it. And frankly, she was kind of the one pushing them to, hey, let's go try out this church she was hoping maybe a pastor would come by on a visit, and, and she just kind of felt like, man, the Lord's working. This is exactly what I had in mind, you know? And uh, so she gets up, and she walks into the kitchen. I'm like, what just happened? I have no idea. And, and, uh, but I'd asked the question, and Spencer said, no, I, I don't know. I don't know if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. I said, Spencer, do you mind if I were to take a few moments and just share from you from the Bible how you can know for sure? He said, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. 
And I shared with them, as it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. I said, Spencer, the Bible says nobody does right all of the time. And, and he agreed. I let him know the Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And I let him know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I let him know that God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I let him know that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I took more time and developed it. And I tried to be thorough and answer questions. But as we came to the conclusion, I said, Spencer, would you like to pray to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? today? And he said, man, I would. I said, great. My very first visit ever, following up on someone who visited Coastline Baptist Church and got saved. I think that was God saying, you're on the right track. Keep going. He was encouraging me. And Spencer prayed to accept Christ. And then, of course, Karen let me know a little bit of what was happening there that day as she, she kind of filled me in on some of the background. It was a wonderful, wonderful visit. And I remember as I got ready to go, Spencer then asked me, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, what, what, do, you, what do you got? And he said, I've heard of Adam and Eve, I know they're in the Bible, but what did they do? And I remember that really struck me. At the time, there was a commercial, I don't even know what it was advertising, but it was like a spoof on Adam and Eve, and uh, for whatever reason, probably that's why it was on his mind, and he said, I've heard of Adam and Eve, I know they're in the Bible, what did they, they do? And I thought it was so interesting that here's a guy who's now staking his eternity on a message that comes from God's Word. He's trusting Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And yet there's another side that says, Adam and Eve, they're in the Bible. What exactly did they do again? And, and I think to a great degree that represents many times where we can be as, as people that know the Lord, if you indeed know the Lord today. We can kind of have a head knowledge of some of the things that took place in the Word of God. We can be familiar with some of the blockbusters. We can know who the leading, the leading characters are and some of the blockbusters of Scripture. And yet we can kind of lack an understanding of why it matters and where it all, it all fits in. And I'm really glad to be here today to tell you that the Bible is filled with real-life accountings of stories that have a great impact on our lives. The Bible reveals to us that some of the most amazing people you'll ever, you'll ever meet are found on the pages of Scripture. And we're going to meet one of the more well-known characters in Scripture today. He's a man by the name of Noah. Now, I think most people are familiar with Noah. I think most of us could say, I know he's in the Bible. I know something uh, uh, about him is in there. But, but I think most of us today could say, you know, I think there's a little room for growth in my heart in terms of understanding what it is that Noah did and why that is important and really even how it's relevant to my life today. I heard of a young boy that came home from Sunday school. And his parents always asked him, what did you learn today? And, and the little boy said, Today we learned about the Zark family. And his parents are thinking, the Zark family? I've, never, I've read the Bible. I've never heard of the Zark family. He said, you know, Noah Zark, okay? And there's more to it than that. Join me in standing, please. Sympathy uh, stand. We're going to read God's word together. But I think many times as people of faith, we come to these great stories in Scripture and we think, you know, I, I, I know it's in there, but there's got to be something more in there for me. And what we're going to find today is there was a real family. Look here, a real family that lived in a really tough time, and this family overcame great adversity to leave a legacy of faith. Wouldn't that be great if that was the story of our families? And we can learn from these people today. True life narrative. And so we look today to Genesis chapter 6. We begin reading in verse 9. The Bible says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. 
And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted His way upon the earth. And so that's three times in two verses. The Bible tells us the earth was corrupt or corrupted. Verse 13, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. And the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark. Now, I'm going to read on, but sometimes we think ark, that must mean ginormous boat. That's that's what ark means. And the, the word ark is used in two places in Scripture. The other place, it's actually referring to a little basket. You remember a man by the name of Moses in Scripture. His mom was trying to save him. She hid him in a basket and put the basket in the river and it floated. And, and the idea in, ark, in the word ark, as we find it in Scripture, is really a place of safety, a place of salvation. In each instance it's used, it's, it's a floating object, but one time a very small uh, basket that just barely fits a baby, another time a, a huge boat. But, but the command was this, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven. And everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind." Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. It's interesting, the Bible says they shall come unto thee. Uh, People have wondered, how in the world did did Noah have the time to walk around and gather all the animals? And and I don't know what it is in a bird that lets it know that south is the direction to fly in the winter, but God puts something in them that lets them know that. It's instinctive. And you really get the idea that God brought the animals to Noah. He brought them. And that's what the Bible says. Verse 21 and take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. I want you to go back, if you would, to verse 18, and let's look in the midst of this verse. And there's a statement there I want us just to get a hold of. Here's the statement. Come into the ark. Come into the ark. Now, I want to ask you a question right now. It's a question you don't answer out loud. In fact, I'm going to ask you not to answer it right now. It's a question I hope that all of us at the end of our study together can answer in our hearts, okay? And here's the question. Are you in the ark? Now, you might be thinking, uh, wait a minute, this boat, history, we're talking a long time ago, and, and clearly I'm not talking about that boat per se, but I want you to be thinking, and by the time we get to the end of our study today, I hope in your heart you'll be able to answer with some conviction. The question is, are you in the ark? I want us to think of that. Our Father, thank you for this morning, for the opportunity that's before us to study and learn and grow. Help us, we pray, Lord. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
as God reviewed the earth and what was happening herein, he was grieved with, with what he saw. A few verses before where we started reading, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now, I want you to listen to the words as we continue reading this verse. Listen to how the Bible says this, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Bible says God reviewed the earth and he found in people that, that uh, were sitting around in every imagination, every imagination was only evil continually. And so we find that God, as He's evaluating, reviewing creation, He's finding in humanity hearts that have totally turned. Society had degenerated at this time. People sat around literally trying to figure out new and creative and innovative ways to do evil. And they pushed the envelope, and they pushed the envelope, and they pushed the envelope, and God finally said, stop it. Enough. I'm not going to tolerate any more of this. You see, God is God. And being God, He has the prerogative in times and ways and means that He sees fit to say enough is enough. And as people were pushing the envelope, God found one of these occasions where He determined to say, that's enough. I'm going to judge the earth with the flood. A global, a global flood, it's going to encompass all of, of the earth. You see, God is God and He has the prerogative to do that, but our God is a gracious God. And so being a gracious God, He provided a way of escape for whoever wanted to be saved. And so God directs Noah to build something that had never been built before. He ordered the building of a huge boat. The Bible refers to it as the ark. And, and as Noah's building this ark, he's preaching the truth of God's word to the populace of the world. He's also preparing for life after the flood by getting the uh, ark and the ingredients that were needed and preparing for the animals. And thankfully, thankfully, in the midst of all of this, as Noah's preaching, his family responds to the message. Tragically... Everyone else rejected the message. There's a lot of great lessons we can learn from this blockbuster. One author by the name of Robert Fulgham listed some insights from his study of the life of Noah. And uh, one of the insights he gained was this, don't miss the boat. And I thought that was pretty good insight he got from, from old Noah. He said this, also plan ahead. It was not raining when Noah built the ark. That's, that's a good principle to glean. Uh, he said this, speed is not everything. The snails were on the ark along with the cheetahs. And I thought, well, that's good to know. Okay, speed is not everything. He said this, remember the ark was built by amateurs, the Titanic, by the pros. I think today's the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, and, and that was built by the pros. The ark was just built by old Noah and his, his sons. But he also made this statement. He said, no matter the storm when you're with God, there's always a rainbow waiting. You see, friends, these, these lessons and others can encourage us when we take time to look to the blockbusters in Scripture. And as we look today, I want us to begin in our study, if you have your outlines nearby, by seeing the man in this blockbuster. Let's look to the man in this blockbuster. The Bible says of Noah that he was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. We read that in verse 9. Now, considering the darkness of this time, this was a great compliment to his life. We know that his standing with God was based on God's grace and of his faith in God. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, the Bible says this, But Noah found grace 
in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace. The Bible said that Noah was just. We referred to this matter last week in our study. We talked about justified. It deals with our standing before God. And, and Noah, because of God's grace and his faith, had a right standing before God. The Bible says in this text that Noah was perfect. Now, in our, in our text, this context reveals that the word perfect has an understanding of maturity or a sincerity in heart. Noah was a man spiritually who was mature, and he had a heart that was authentic, that was real, that was honest. He was a man of integrity before the Lord. And the Bible also says in the end of verse 9 that Noah walked with God. And this dealt with his devotion to the Lord, his commitment to to the Lord in his day-to-day life. Noah accepted God and because the world rejected God and Noah, a man who accepted God, they determined then to reject him. He was a man that understood at times you're going to have to stand alone if you're going to stand for God. But he was willing to do that. Now, we may wonder, why did Noah find grace and all of the rest of the world found judgment? I can hear people now, if God is really good and if God is really kind and if God is really loving, why is it that, that uh, some people found salvation and other people, they just found judgment and, and condemnation? And, and obviously the Lord did not paint with a broad brush in the sense that he knew where everyone's heart was. But in Noah, he found a man of faith. And in the New Testament, we have a passage of Scripture that we often call the Hall of Faith. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. And in that great passage of Scripture, the Bible, in speaking of Noah, says in verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. And I love that expression, things not seen as yet. He moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. His righteousness came by way of his faith. He had faith in in God. There are some great truths that we find in Noah's life, and as we see his response of faith toward God in our outline today, we're going to consider this. The man in this blockbuster, Noah, he listened to God. He listened to God. You see, the warning from God came to everybody. But Noah listened and others Did not? The witness of God has been before every person in all time. Now, it's funny, some of the questions we come up with that we think is going to really tie God's brain in a knot, and he's going to, oh man, we we got him. You know, we like to say, well, what about people that live in some secluded place? You know, they never do get to hear about God. God's already addressed that. Every person in every place at every time has had a testimony, a witness to the reality, uh, to the validity, the authenticity of a God. The Bible tells us that creation itself bears testimony that there must have been a creator. The Bible in Psalm 19 and verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. And so Noah responded to the light that he had from God. And as he did, more light came. And that's the same for any person at any time in any place. As we respond to the light that we have in God, God in his grace always gives us more. He gives us everything we need to enter into an understanding of who it is that he is. We see a great thought here that Noah, he listened to God. But I want us to consider that he also looked through God. Now, that's an unusual way to say that. We say, no, he mean he looked to God. No, I mean, he looked through God. He saw things that he could not see because he had a faith in God that told him what it was that was to come. Now, the Bible made a great statement as we read in Hebrews eleven seven 7 a moment ago. 
the Bible said that, that uh, Noah acted in a certain way in his life because he was dealing with things not seen as yet. That's how the Bible put it, not seen as yet. He had a spiritual vision that affected his actions in the present because of an awareness he gained from God of what, what was to come in the future. Did you all follow me there? He did stuff in the moment because there were some things coming down the road that he could have never seen with his own eyes, but God revealed to him was coming. And it affected his life in the present because he was looking to the future. One of the great motivators in my life is the reality that someday I'm going to stand before a holy God. Now, if you're a person of faith, when we stand before God, we're not going to answer for our sin because Jesus Christ answered for our sin, and I'm very grateful for that. If you're here today and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can rejoice in the fact that you'll never answer for your sin. Jesus Christ answered for that. If you're not a believer today, the Bible's very clear, crystal clear, that we'll stand before God and have to give an account, and the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. And so there's a couple of different senses where we're going to stand before God. But if you're a believer, you won't answer for sin, but we will answer for what it is we've done with the life that God has given us. And that's where the, the rewards for eternity will come from. God will evaluate our actions. I, I want your attention for a moment today, and I, I hope you care about what I'm about to say, but uh, whether you do or not, I want you to know that what I'm going to share with you right now, it's, it's, it's a weight that's on me every day. This thought crosses my mind multiple times daily. I want you all to understand that there's a point in my future where I'm going to stand before God and be evaluated for how I served you as an under-shepherd. Literally, I'm going to stand before God. And it's going to deal with, did I, did I teach the whole counsel of God? Did I, did I share the truth? Did I love you? Was I passionate for souls? And, and, and on and on. But the days come, you see... That day in the future affects the way I look at this day in the present. I'm seeing things not seen as yet. I'm trusting in a God that, that shared with me that, that that day's coming. That day's coming for all of us, but in a special way. In fact, in Hebrews 13, 7, the Bible says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Now, just think of this for a moment. There's this idea of spiritual authority, and the idea is, is spiritual leaders here. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that's unprofitable for you. See, the day is coming where the lost will give an account for their rejection of God. Believers will give an account for what we did with our lives. And 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 14 says this, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Noah's life made a difference. Because he was able to look through God to the future and see what was coming. And what he believed about the future that came by way of God's revelation to him, it had an impact on his present this was great living. This is a man that listened to God. He looked through God, but Noah was a man who had a love for God. You see, Noah was God's spokesman 
to deliver a message of hope and salvation. And his message was widely rejected, but in the midst of it all, the Bible makes it clear that his whole family uh, placed their faith in God. Now, what an encouragement to me, all right? All of us here today are connected to a family, all of us. And one of the great encouragements from this text is, is found in the reality that, that Noah was a man that loved God and he had God's love at work in his life. And we understand that he had a family living in a tough time in a tough place. And yet these were people that came to know God through faith and, and they lived for God. In fact, they lived a life of radical faith for God. They participated in, in the work that would lead to the building of the ark. They had a dynamic, radical faith in God that changed not only their lives, it changed the world. Now, I don't know what it is that your family will face, what you're going to go through, what turmoil you have coming ahead of you, what flood you're going to have come rolling into your life, maybe even this week. But if there's any testimony we can glean from the man in the blockbuster, it's the fact that it really doesn't matter what it is we go through. What's really important is who it is we're going through it with. And if we're going through it with God, we can rest assured He can give us the power to overcome. And as we go through it with the love of God, I believe we're going to see that while the world rejected the message, when the messenger went home, his family looked in his heart, and they said, he's the real deal. He believes what he's saying. He loves the Lord, and it made an impact in his home. What a great thought that is. As we look here, we see that he was used in, a, in an unusual way. Now, they're, they're, the, these are tough days. In fact, these days are similar. these days are similar to the days of Noah. You see, the Bible tells us in Matthew 24, 37, as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. That's Jesus Christ. The, the Bible tells us to expect a moral and societal collapse, but the hope in it all is God's love and the joy we have to share it with others. The Bible says that prior to the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ, that the days will resemble the days in which Noah was living. And, and that, listen, that doesn't bring fear to my heart. That brings joy. I'm excited for the fact that, that the Lord is coming again. But I want to make sure to let everybody know that Jesus loves them and they can go to heaven as well. What an encouraging thought. God can use all of us. And so we see the man in the blockbuster, but as we move on, we're going to see the mission in the blockbuster. I don't know if you ever saw the old Mission Impossibles, but you know, they always started with your mission if you choose to accept it. And the mission that came to, to Noah was an interesting mission. It was a mission from God to build an ark. Now, I've seen pictures of the ark that, that were... Uh, Probably not true to life. You know, I, I want us to look at this picture. How many of you have seen that picture before? <laughs> now, it's probably cute, but it's, it's absurdly ridiculous, isn't it? I wonder how many children in a nursery setting have been ingrained at an early age that what we find in the Bible pertaining to the ark could not have possibly happened because monkeys would have never lasted that long on the roof of the boat. We don't mean anything by it, but honestly, if this is the story of Noah and the ark, and that's what I'm learning, there's going to come a point where I'm going to go, you know what, that, no, that didn't happen, that's crazy, it could have never happened, Noah, all the animals in the ark, are you kidding me, it's impossible, and I think sometimes we unknowingly do more harm than good when we come to some of these great stories in the Word of God. You see, the Bible gives us the dimensions of this huge craft. 
The measurements are given in cubits. A cubit is about 18 inches. That would make the ark 450 feet long, 45 feet high, 75 feet wide. There would have been no engine. There would have been no rudder. They weren't needed. You see, the ark was not like a a, a cruise liner that we think of today. It was more like a cargo barge. One author who studied the ark made this statement, and I quote, Various engineering studies have revealed that such a design, he was dealing with the dimensions, Such a design produces a vessel that is incredibly stable, almost impossible to capsize. The basic design is very similar to massive supertankers that ferry oil from the Middle East to North America. Now, this much I know. We don't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by having somebody scientifically prove to us that there was a global flood, which I believe can be done, or someone who can prove to us that the ark really was adequate in size and and would have floated, it would have worked. Uh, You see, the the Bible is, is this way. You believe and I'll show you. It's not show me and I'll believe. But I think it can encourage us in our hearts. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know, that's just ridiculous. There's no way that any of that could have happened. I want you to know it did happen, and I know that because it's in the Word of God, but when we evaluate what it is we find in the Word of God, we're going to find every reason to believe that the ark was absolutely capable to do everything that God said it could do. Now, again, a lot of people would look to a blockbuster like Noah and the ark, and they'd say it's either science fiction or a fairy tale. Some have considered the number of, of animals and, and thought the situation would never work. If we take the number of, of, of uh, uh, if we take the numbers from Bible, what can we learn? The ark consisted of about 1.5 million cubic feet, okay? That comes out to roughly about 569 railroad cars of cargo space. So how do you get all the animals in the ship? Well, the Bible says the Lord brought them. Well, we know it's not two of, of every single animal in the world. So we're trying to figure out what animals did he bring. For example, he didn't have to bring a cocker spaniel and a pit bull and a, and a whatever, you know. Just two dogs, Male, female, obvious reasons. And, and the, the, the types, the breeds, the styles, they, they, they come in time. So you didn't have to get every kind of dog, just one dog, one of each kind. And so this is what the Bible tells us happened. All right, well, how many animals were there? Well, people obviously go back and forth on numbers there. A number that's generally accepted, and I've done a lot of reading. Ken Ham has some great material on this. In fact, I just got a book yesterday and read a couple hundred pages of it last night, enjoying it, uh, dealing with a lot of this kind of stuff. But, but uh, uh, somewhere around 16,000, if you consider it wasn't every, every animal in the world, it was, it was dealing with kinds. So it's times it by, by two, roughly, male and female, and then add some just to make sure we're giving ample space to the number of animals. Perhaps 50,000 animals on the ark. Many people say that's a safe estimate. Safe. All right. How would this have worked? As I read about the ark, I came across this. It it was a reminder there are really only a a few very, very large animals. Only a few. You know, things like dinosaurs, things like elephants. Um, Those are unusual. They're unusual. Um, I was reading just last night about of all the various species of dinosaurs, the vast majority of them were uh, the size of a sheep or smaller. Uh, they, they weren't all humongous. Now, were there some that were huge? No doubt about it. But uh, how many of you would agree that Noah probably was smarter than me? Okay, good. Thank you. God bless you. All right. You may leave now. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, he was. I'm sure of it. But uh, even I'm smart enough to know if I'm building a boat and I'm putting animals on it, 
if I can get a little tiny baby dinosaur instead of a full-grown gigantic one, I'll, I'll take the small one. And so, uh, you know, I'm sure there was some of that going on. I've got to get an elephant. Let's get the smallest one we can find, all right? And God's sending them, and God has a hand in all this, of course. But, but I think if we'll just think through that, we'll understand that. Uh, assuming the average animal to be about the size of a sheep, which would be the case, using a railroad car for comparison, we see the average double-deck stock car can accommodate 240 sheep. Thus, three trains hauling 69 cars each would have ample space to carry 50,000 animals, filling only 37% of the ark. That'd leave an additional 361 cars, enough to make five trains of 72 cars each to carry the feed, the baggage, Noah's family. The point is this, they had plenty of space in the ark, plenty of space. God did this. I know that he did it. It's in the Bible. But really, when you look at what it is that God says, we'll see that the evidence is in Scripture that, that indeed this took place. By God's grace, Noah literally built an ark and accomplished his mission. He overcame the odds. He worked hard. He lived his faith before his family. He changed the world. Now, friends, listen. God is not going to destroy the earth again by a flood. The rainbow is in evidence that God is not going to judge the world again by a flood. But if he could use Noah to do what he did, we can rest assured that God can use us in whatever mission he has for us. Because he wants to use all of us. He has something in mind that he's doing today, and he wants all of us to have a part in it. And, and so we see the mission in this blockbuster. But finally, I want us to think today of the meaning in this blockbuster. Every good story has a meaning. We sometimes call it the moral of the story. You know, what's the lesson? What's it all about? Some people just can't believe that a loving God would ever do something like we've read in this text. Now, now I hope you give me your attention just for another second here. Some people, again, would say, how would a loving God ever allow something like a global flood to happen? And I want you to know this. Those that perished in the flood, not one of them, not one of them from their heart could accurately say, God, my demise was your fault. Because they know God said, look, come on the ark and you'll be saved. For all those years, Noah was preaching the truth. Nobody had to go that way. They had a choice in the matter, as do we all. So none of us can get upset with God or uptight with God. And, you know, God, I, I can't believe God, you would, you would allow this to happen. And, and uh, uh, the, I think all of these people would, would have to be honest and say, you know, we did have a choice in the matter. The picture in this is that we can't make our way to heaven. We can't tread water for eternity. We can't dog paddle our way to heaven. There's only one way and God invites us to it. The only way to a relationship with God that lasts forever, the only way it's through faith in Jesus Christ. He's our ark. In fact, as the rain came, the Bible in Genesis 7 and verse 16 says this, and they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut the door of the ark. The Lord shut him in. Now, God shut the door, and we read in the New Testament that Jesus uses the analogy of a door to typify himself. In John 10 and verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. I could read on, but he said, I'm the door. Everyone in the day of Noah had to deal with the flood that came. Everybody had to deal with the flood. Just as today, all of us have to deal with the sin and the consequence of it. Some chose to handle it in their own strength, and they discovered that their strength was inadequate, and so they perished. Noah and his family chose to rest inside of the ark. Look here, the same flood waters that caused some to perish, 
were the same floodwaters that lifted the vessel of the ark, saving others. The difference was in the way they approached it. Some said, I can handle this. I don't need God or His plan. And others said, I need God. I need His help. I need the Lord. I'll trust in Him. So it is when we approach a holy God with our sin. We can't try to deal with it on our own or we'll perish. We must rest in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The ark, well, it was made of wood, just like the cross upon which Jesus Christ was crucified. The wood, the Bible says, was covered in pitch. It it said the same thing in in effect when when Moses was placed in the smaller ark. It was slimed, the Bible says there. But but the Hebrew word, the idea in in being covered with pitch, it's it's the idea of atonement. And the Bible says that Jesus made an atonement for our sins. There's, There's a covering that comes by way of Christ. The water couldn't get in. Sin cannot get in through the atonement. There was one ark, just as there's one way to God, through faith in Christ. Everyone who came into the ark was saved. As all who come to Jesus Christ are saved, Jesus said in John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That's a promise from Jesus Christ, God the Son. Everybody comes to me. I'm not going to cast any of them out. I'll accept everybody. And in the end, God shut the door. Now today, the ark of Jesus Christ, if I may say it that way, the door is still open. I'm grateful for that. But friends, the door is soon closing. It's soon closing. And so I began with a question, and I'll conclude with a question. Are you in the ark of Jesus Christ? Are you in the ark? I, I think that there are two particular reasons why this blockbuster is particularly relevant for us today. I think, first of all, we all deal with cataclysmic events in our lives, the equivalent of a global flood, just on a personal level. I think we all have times where the phone rings and the prognosis comes in, the, the family member calls, the difficulty emerges. I think all of us have those seasons in life where the floods come. And isn't it good to know that if God's big enough to save a family from a global flood, that He's big enough to handle whatever flood it is we're going to go through? And and that's just such a blessing to me, to see Noah out there serving God, and and God was working in his life, and and God used this occasion. And and so I'm very grateful that, that we can take in principle the fact that God is bigger than any problem we'll face, okay? And I'm thankful for that. But the second reality is that the New Testament prophesies that the days preceding the rapture and the second coming of Christ will resemble the time in which the flood came. And friends, we're living in those times. Okay? So Noah preached, hey man, the flood's coming. The end is coming. And the world said, what a kook, you know? And like Noah, I'm preaching. It's coming. The end is coming. Get on the ark. The door will be closing. And I know there's some who say, that guy's just out of his mind. They might be two-thirds accurate. I don't know that, but I know the message is right. I know there's some who say, this guy's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Ignore him. But the end is coming. 
just as it was in the time of Noah, the envelope is being pushed. And God, according to his prophetic timetable, is saying this, I'm going to capture my bride away. The bride is, is the church. And, and then after that, there's going to be seven very uncomfortable years. It's going to start off pretty peaceful. It's going to go downhill from there. Then Jesus Christ is going to return for the second time. And friends, I want you to know, when that wrath, when that judgment, when the wave of the flood waters of God's retribution to a, to a world that's rejected him comes, I want you to know that you're on the ark. And so if we'll look at this text, we'll see there's something for all of us today. Our Father, thank you for the opportunity to look to an old famous story in Scripture and see that really it's pretty fresh and new.